Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and everyone here watching Game Over Winnipeg. My name is Liz, one year regular host, and I am back here with Nick covering another Jets loss to the Vegas Golden Knights. So, must be a day that ends in Y. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'll be honest with you, I'm getting tired of these. Uh, Nick, how are you doing tonight? <laughs> Not bad. These late ones are uh, a little tough, but uh, and the game was. Um, not great. So I've had better nights, but doing all right. How are you doing tonight, Liz? I'm good, and I am ready to chat Winnipeg Jets with you. So uh, for everyone who's here live in the chat, thank you so much for being here. Uh, just a reminder of the regular drill. We're going to talk some Jets. We're going to go over a couple things that happened in tonight's game, and then we're going to kind of open up the floor, go through some chat questions, chat with you guys about any ideas you have, thoughts you want to you know, share, anything like that. But feel free to make sure you're connecting with one another um, you know, in the chat as the show goes on. Um, but let's dive right into it. So, um, one of my Jets capping off a 5-2 loss to the Vegas Golden Knights. Second matchup of the season. Second loss of the season. Laurent Marassois got his Stanley Cup ring today, so congrats to him. Very happy that he was able to get that right from Kelly McCrinnon, which is really great. Uh, before we get into the specifics of the game, I just wanted to point out uh you had a couple players uh on the Winnipeg Jets that were wearing some neck guards tonight um heard that there were a couple of comments from uh, a few of the players uh when asked about it saying you know they're gonna try and get used to it and things like that um in support of Adam Johnson and the tragedy that occurred over the last uh, couple days so really nice to see a couple of influential players in this team um I want to say did I counted four tonight I don't know how many um you saw that were wearing the neck guards uh there were four in practice sounds right Four in practice yesterday, four tonight. Rasmus Kapari wasn't wearing it in the game, but Neil Pionk wasn't wearing it in the practice. So, and then Perfetti, Ehlers, and Nemesikov, that whole third line, um, was cooking up the net guards tonight. Uh, it's nice to see, uh, hopefully, as players, uh, you know, start to wear them a little bit more in practices and games and get more used to them. It becomes more of a norm uh, to avoid any scary accidents uh, again in the future. So really nice to see that tonight. Um, I know I made a tweet earlier about it, um, talking about how uh, I I played two seasons um, of ringette without elbow pads because the elbow pads I had were really uncomfy. Yeah, it was a really stupid call. I was also like 12. Um, But I played two full seasons without them because they were uncomfortable. And I was like, I can't shoot very well. And they're just kind of scratchy and itchy. And so I know what it's like to have equipment that sucks to wear. But, you know, the reason that players have gone from no shoulder pads, no helmets, no gloves, and all those kinds of things to where we are today is because of the protection that's, you know, been deemed necessary. And even though it's not always the most comfortable, I have a feeling that this is going to be kind of the new norm that we see um, over the course of the next few years. I don't know about you. Yeah, the no elbow pad thing is kind of wild because that was the one piece of equipment I hated for getting because you fall on that elbow. It's so uncomfortable. I but I, I know once. that is that's crazy to me. I, I had one practice that I learned from then on, always elbow pads. But I know when I played junior, I too didn't wear a neck guard. Um, once we got to the age where it was not necessary, it's just one of those things. Um, you forget to put it on once, you realize you're comfortable and you just don't wear it again. But seeing what happened the other night, uh, that was really tough to stomach. And yeah, there is different pieces of equipment. Why not go with it to stop something that was a tragedy this week? Tough to watch. 100%, yeah. So um, moving into the, the specifics of the on-ice product that uh, we saw in this game tonight, a um, couple of things to, to point out, as always. We're definitely going to touch on the special teams. I'm um, definitely going to talk a little bit about the defense. Um, but I want to just kind of start and preface it by saying that this was a game that, like, 
sucks to watch when you know you're supposed to talk about it afterwards because it was just frustrating. You could look at mm-hmm. analytics, you could look at what's going on on the ice and all those kinds of things. They got some bad penalties at bad times, they can't score on special teams, and their mistakes were bad mistakes. Like, it's not that mm-hmm. deep, but it's that frustrating, you know? A hundred percent. And it's funny you say that because, yeah, I was thinking that honestly halfway through the game. I'm like, oh, I promised Liz I'd jump on today. This is a tough one. But the one thing, too, like looking at the analytics, I actually found that that was a game where the numbers, I think, painted a, a rosier story for the Winnipeg Jets than I kind of saw. Um, they did sustain some play, especially, again, that Lowry line seems to be the line to do that. Started it off with a big start to the second, but I didn't find the Jets to be a better five-on-five team. I know they kind of strung some plays along, but it felt like Vegas was more dangerous all night, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I think, to me, the the possession numbers and things like that come from control of play, which at the end of the day is an extremely important thing uh, to come from. But I felt like the quality of, like, within that control of play was just kind of dog for the Jets. Like, mm-hmm. they're, they they did a good job of managing the puck pretty well, I think, to, to keep it away. Um from Vegas once they actually had possession you know there were some really tough goes with some bad takeaways and giveaways and stuff like that um but you know it's it's hard when you're like oh they're doing these little things right and those you know little things wrong or or whatnot but it's the collective of Vegas just when they had those chances doing it better you know yeah Vegas what what I find to me yeah to me that I saw two different tiers of teams out there as far as Vegas doesn't make very many mistakes. Even when they get caught running around that, that middle of the slot, typically speaking, uh, they really do a good job of clapping down there. Uh, the Jets did spend a lot of zone time down there for stretches. Um, again, that Lowry line was pretty good at getting to the slot. But other than that, it felt like, to me anyways, outside of the Kyle Connor goal and the Lowry line, that there wasn't a lot of, very big opportunities in the slot. I felt like they kind of whiffed on their best chances. I remember, I think Lowry had two shots in that first shift or which should have been shots from right in front of the goalie and kind of whiffed on both. Um, Perfetti on the first power play had the open slot from the, or <laughs> shot from the slot and passed it outward. Like it felt like when they would get those chances, they didn't feel that dangerous because something would happen. And then on the other end, Vegas is just so fast. And so oh, aggressive yeah. in transition that, yeah, they may not have piled up a ton of shots right in front of Connor Hellebuck, but it felt like all of those opportunities were dangerous because they were coming on odd man rushes. They were coming in breaks in, in the D zone pressure. And it just, they might not have piled up a ton from the, uh, the slot, but it, they all felt dangerous. And I don't know. I just, to me, that felt like a game Vegas was in control the whole way, honestly. It, it's so funny. I want to say the first time I really ever heard this this argument and believed it was when people were talking a little bit about Connor McDavid. Um, when a couple of years ago, someone started talking about his possession numbers and how his possession numbers weren't like super awesome. And they're like, it's because he doesn't have a lot of positive zone time because he carries it into the zone and he scores right away. And that was one thing that mm-hmm. I kind of found with, with Vegas tonight was like you said, with the odd man rushes, like they were capitalizing it wasn't necessarily scored every time but it was like they would come in and get like a high danger chance and then Connor Hellebuck would swallow it or they'd score or whatever they weren't cycling and doing the nothingness that the Winnipeg Jets tend to like to do especially on the power play Mm -hmm. um so I feel like that kind of 
is conducive to that. But honestly, let's start with the power play. Let's talk there. I want to talk about the Lowry line too, so move into that afterwards. But let's let's start by talking about that power play a little bit. So um, my first thoughts on it are I don't... Like, I genuinely feel like there must be some big thing that I'm missing. Because why on any planet is Cole Perfetti in the slot and Mark Shifley on the wall? When you have a player that can control the puck from the wall and then a player who can shoot really well from the slot. I don't understand why that's the formation. It's so static. It's so boring. Cole Perfetti is not even a shooting threat. He had that shot, that one that you were talking about, because there's mm-hmm. nobody on him. Because everyone's cheating to Connor or Shifley because they are like, Cole Perfetti is not going to score from the slot. Like, it's just... Everything about the setup is just so predictable and so unexciting. I just... I feel like that one small switch could change that just a little bit. Yeah, so it's, it's interesting you say that because... The Jets end up breaking the streak with a shot from Cole Perfetti in the slot off of Iofalo's hand. But I, too, have a lot of issues with the personnel setup right now. And it really goes down to a few things I've, I've kind of noticed over the last few games. For one, obviously, you, you brought it up. Mark Scheifele on the flank. Uh, Mark Scheifele doesn't have the type of shot that's beating goaltenders from out far. But he has a great shot from in tight. He, the release is good. But he's also a pass-first player. So it almost feels like He's trying to be the Blake Wheeler of of the opposite side of years or same side, no opposite side of years past when they need him if he's going to be on that flank to be a shooting threat and and you, you really nailed it. There's just no there's no movement at all and it's frustrating because we always hear the reason why the format is this format is because Mark Shifey has his slot, Kyle Connor has his slot. When you look at some of the best power players in the NHL, you're not spending the entire shift in those spots. You're, you're looking for movement. You're looking to create two-on-one. And the Jets just don't do that on the power play. The puck goes down. And here's another problem, too, with the format right now is Morrissey is a lefty. has to open up before passing to Mark Shakley. So Mark Shakley is already not going to be a shooter. And it's, take, and, and it's predictable. The so teams are kind of getting up there on him. And then he's sitting there just stick-handling hoping something opens up instead of moving around. And then the, the opposite is almost the problem on the other flank with Kyle Connor. He's more dangerous the tighter he gets to the net. And right now they're, they're, they're feeding this whole power play as if Mark Shifley is Nick Backstrom and Kyle Connor is Alex Ovechkin. And that's not what you have in those players. So the lack of movement is frustrating. It, it's hard to watch. It's almost deflating when they get a power play at this stage. And I agree, like something, they, there's got to be a, a few changes coming in, in who operates what spot. There should be movement. But yeah, it, 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 it's hard to watch right now. Yeah, I think, and, and even, you know, I know you're you're giving me a hard time on that Cole Perfetti, uh, the, the shot there <laughs> or whatever. But even if I remember that goal correctly, there was a puck retrieval that came from the corner and everyone was slightly out of position. Like, all of the dangerous chances that they've had over the course of these, what, 17 power plays that they've had where they've gone one for 17, the best chances they've had are when someone screws up and the puck, like, goes into the corner or whatever and they have to regroup and when they're not fully reset and they're still moving around and Kyle Connor does one of those, like, fancy, like, twist around shots or whatever and and you're not necessarily prepared for it because predictability is the worst thing that you can have on a power play because the players who are killing the penalty, if there's 
any form of structure that they can build themselves around, they're going to do it because they're at a disadvantage, right? So they're, if they can read things, they're guns to read them. So I feel mm-hmm. like if you know exactly who these players are and like, we're not NHL players and we can so obviously tell exactly what each guy's role is and how it's going to work. Like, and, and last game or maybe when was Rangers, was that last game? I feel like it might've been, I have no yeah, idea. It was. Um, it was. Brady and I were talking about this too. Um, so if anyone is here uh, in the chat from last game, I'm sure a lot of this is some similar conversation, but it rings just as true. He's talking about how Adam Fox at one point was hanging out in front of the net. He's like, you cycle the mm-hmm. puck around, he's moving through. And like, you know, like your your guys need to end up in, in different places. And if it's a whole thing where Connor, like Mark Shifley likes his spot on the side, well, you know what? I also like making six figures at my part-time job right now, but I don't get to do that because it's not helping my organization do anything, right? Like it's, if, mm-hmm. if that's the spot that he likes, but it's not helping the team, I don't know what we're doing here. But if they move around enough, he'll get to play that part sometimes, uh, no matter what his mm-hmm. anchor spot is. So if he likes it there, you know, move more. You know, it, it, maybe it's a challenge, right? You throw him in the slot and it's like, oh, you want to shoot from there? Move the power play around and, and do some stuff. And I think you made a really interesting point about how he's taking more of that, like, anchor role, um, which is so not his responsibility in my opinion I know you know losing Blake Wheeler is interesting because he was as much of a role player on the power play as Cal Connor is in a different capacity but that's why they need Cole Perfetti and they need him to develop some confidence there because then he can take that role and everyone else can do what they need to do yeah and I'm going to use an example here for like both the penalty kill and the power play so with a power play having the extra guy the goal really is to find a two-on-one at some point in the ice where you can exploit a defender and with the power play, the way the Jets run it, you're not creating that because it's so stationary. You're not, you're not making it hard for the defense. You're not making them have to make a read. They could, For the most part, the Jets are killing off their own power plays, just standing around, passing up and down, not really creating anything. And then on the opposite end of the ice, I saw it again today, and something that concerned me a lot with the penalty kill is it almost feels like the Jets' penalty killers, they're down a man, and two guys are often getting sucked to the puck, which means there's a four on two behind both defenders. We saw it in the first penalty kill. They ended up killing it off, but uh, Jack Eichel was drawing uh, Adam Lowry and Dylan DeMello in, and it created a backdoor chance down to Stone who gets it over because the G's got to make a move. So it's almost like the, the Jets' power play is spending too much time practicing against the Jets' penalty kill or something because it's the only way this power play would work right now is going against the Jets' penalty kill which also needs to be a lot better. Yeah, no, what's no. Your th- what's your thoughts there? Hundred <laughs> percent. No, I. Sorry, I was just I was just typing in the chat here and letting everyone know uh, to like the stream if they're here, and especially like it if you're relieved to see that power play goal tonight. But um, yeah, and I think um, Julian captures a good point here about how you know like analytics don't capture when you when you look at the small percentage of plays just how stupid those plays are and how that can change everything so that's kind of the big piece of this and and that's why you know five on five there are so many things and and we can get into that Lowry line before we move on from this or after we move on from this topic but it's just like the special teams are killing them they're literally murdering them right now and it's it's so hard to be like you know trying to justify oh there are good things happening at five on five it's like none of that matters if you're sinking yourself the single second someone gets in the box from either team. A hundred percent. And Julian makes a good point too on, on, on the stupid plays because this team is one of its biggest issues is it's very good at shooting itself in the foot. 
with either boneheaded decisions or turnovers. And yeah, it might not reflect in a lot of quality against, but it's reacting in enough quality against that's tilting games the other way right now. 100%. Yeah. But um, there were some, some periods of time kind of away from some of those penalties, particularly at the beginning of that second period. And then also at the beginning of the third period, uh, we're at five on five. The The Jets were kind of on, on Vegas, like white on rice, which is always a kind of relieving thing to see because you see other teams do it to you all the time. So it's nice when, when your team kind of mm-hmm. can give it back for a bit. So there's some really good things that um, I really liked in, in those two stretches in particular. And, and a lot of that centers around that Lowry line. And if I'm, if I'm being honest with you, I'm starting to get really frustrated actually by how many like it's like a resentful thing with how we're singing the praises of Niederreiter and and Lowry and all these kinds of things and it's like oh my gosh like if all you can do is talk about how good this third line is like it would be one thing if the other players who you're not praising were still like contributing to a certain capacity like if, if this Lowry line is coming out of the woodwork and scoring all these goals. It's like, wow, this is so exciting. Uh, and if, you know, it's a give and take where those top lines can just sort of, you know, hold their own and suppress the Vegas Golden Knights for a little bit. And then the Lowry line comes out and is firing on nail cylinders and that's where you get your goals. I wouldn't care. But we're, no, we're, we're talking about how great this line is. But it's like the fact that we have to be talking about how good a third line is, like, there's a huge glaring hole right now that we really got to address. And maybe that's the pessimist in me, but... Let's not be the pessimist in me. Talk about how good that Lowry line is and what you like about them. Um, it, it's, it's impressive how good they are at kind of turning over momentum, if you believe in it. Um, I thought them starting the second period as an example was pushing the right buttons because they went out there, had a ship, and it's, it kind of created that effect of the next couple lines had some quality chances. Uh, then they came out a second time again and were generating – and it, it, it helps shift the game. So one thing we know is the top six guys, for the most part, aren't great defensively. But if all of a sudden the Adam Lowry line is driving the bus and creating more offensive starts for those guys and creating chances of their own, like Nino has just been such a, a big piece to that line. It, it, it should, in theory, help propel the other two uh, top guys. Uh, I know tonight on, on the road, you know, matchups aren't as easy to pull. But when the Winnipeg Jets are at home and you have a line like this, it should free up those guys to score. And with the inconsistency of both top six lines at five on five right now, it, it feels like all for naught from the other group in a sense because realistically no one came into this year saying Adam Lowry's line was going to drive this box. Um, and it can't if this team wants to be successful. So I don't know. What's your thoughts on it? Yeah, I mean, it, it's with any team and you talk about, you know, the the playoff depth and how, you know, you need all four lines to be doing things or whatever, but you need to be do they need to be doing things like within their realm. So what the Adam Lowry line needs to be doing is still dealing with the tough matchups and letting that top six run wild, which right now I'm trying to remember the lines that I was, uh, I want to say we were still doing one and one tonight, like Eichel and Stone were against the Shifley line, right? For the most part. If you're part. Vegas, that's exactly what you want, too. Right. So. Well, exactly. So what what the Jets, I feel like, ideally should want and need is, is for Lowry to still manage that brutal matchup and then have, you know, this offensive flair, this pressure, those really nice, like, Nino finished checks and all those kinds of things and still, like, ne- not lose that because that's really key and that's really important. But if they're 
matching up against the other team's second or third line and getting these goals, it's great. But the aggregate of you know the chances at, at five on five when you're matching these lines for the team, which is what they all care about and what we all care about, is still going to be in the net negative. So you got to put more pressure onto this Lowry line. So I'm kind of changing the subject a little bit, but they they broke them up in the third period, right? After that yeah. Vegas power play goal, they they put Ayafalo back on that line and Mason Appleton back up, which, you know, didn't work last time um, for the top six thing. Ayafalo was great on the third line, but of course he was. Um, but see, to me, what I would have preferred to do is have the team do their best to switch the lines matchup and not lose the kind of chemistry that they had going as opposed to trying to divide the wealth uh, and try and get the other lines going. So I feel like it's hard when you don't have the last change, but I I wasn't sure if splitting them up was the right call as opposed to just trying to put more of the load on them. What did you think? Uh, Yeah, it gets hard to chase the matchup, especially down in a game um, in Vegas, but I don't, I, I'm at a point where I don't want that Lowry, Nino, Appleton line to be switched up at all. I think they have to find some answers in that top six. And I think it all comes down to splitting up Kyle Connor and Mark Shifley until Gabe Velarde's back. And if you want to give that another run, go right ahead. But we just we know the story. Uh, the Nemesikov line, I didn't think it was one of their best nights, but over the course of the year, they've been generating chances. That's just a line we need to see some more goals out of. I just, I don't know what they can do in that top six. If that's going to be, that's going to work. If, if you're stuck on keeping Connor and Shifley together, just knowing what the aggregate means down the lineup, you just know in most nights you're having a top line that's playing the most minutes that's going to get outplayed. And you're almost hoping that the middle six can overtake that. And that gets awfully tough. I don't know what the answer is right now because realistically, Nino is probably the guy if you're going to try and jumpstart a line. Just knowing what we know, he is that premium player on that line. But you also don't want to change that line because they've been the best line for a week now. So I don't know what the answer is going to be. I just... I know I know Mason Appleton isn't the answer, and he's playing good hockey, uh, much better hockey than I think social media wants to give him credit for. And today's probably a day where he's getting rewarded for playing a pretty decent game. But we know it doesn't work. So I don't know. I want to see them keep that Lowry unit together and try some different things with the six guys you have in that top six until Gabe already gets back because it, it's just not good enough. And he's not going to be back for another two to four weeks. I don't yeah. know what your thoughts here. No, like I think kind of I, I, I'm in agreement with you on it where right now it's because I always understand the whole idea of like the that not everything is an isolated play. It's like, oh, like, yeah, throw Nino up there and you think it's going to make this line 20% better. But if it makes that line 60% worse, well, it's a net negative. So you shouldn't do that sort of thing. I understand. So in my opinion, you just start moving around the pieces within those top six players as is right now because there's no risk to that because it's not like you're going to lose anything because they aren't really doing much. Like, every other game, the Ehlers line is quite good, Um, but I think that's going to happen even if you put Ehlers with a couple of bags of pucks. Like, every now and then, he's still going to have a good line. I got to say this, though. That was game two out of the last three where Nick Ehlers just passes better. Yeah, that's a guy that the Jets really need to get going here. 
Yeah, no, no, for he's sure. He's too big to that top six scoring that uh, they need him going. And and right now, he's he's not going. Uh, Mark Scheifele's not going. Kyle Connor's not going. Like, none of these guys are going as it stands right now, so you run no risk at starting to juggle things around up there because it's not like you're giving up two goals a game. You're giving up nothing because they're not really doing a whole ton. So I think there's a lot of opportunity in there. And I agree with you and I agree with Brody. Brody in the chat said the same thing as you did. Uh, he said it after you did on our end, but our stream is a little bit behind. So you guys like said at the same time, he's like, split up Kyle Connor and, and Mark Shifley. Like it's, it's got to happen at this point. Um, Cause I, I just don't think that, and as good as Alex Iafalo has been, like, it's just not enough to, to bump that line up to where they need to be in order to be the top line. And I said this last game, um, and I'll say it forever and ever, like this team very clearly with the contract signed and things that they've outwardly said wants to win this year. And if you want to win, your top line has to be better than other teams' top lines. It's not. And, and that includes power play times when you're supposed to have your offensive weapons being offensive weapons. So I just think they just need to run some tweaks um, in, in that top six. And you don't even need to touch that third line because the third line is made up of third line players so they can stay down there. And you're not jeopardizing anything that's, you know, you're not ruining a good thing you got going in the top six because there isn't much. Here's a question just came to my head as we're talking about this here. Um, if you bump... Nina Ryder up to that line because clearly it needs it. And if you're not going to split the two up, does that third line lose a lot going to IXL foul with Appleton and Lowry? Like, is, is that the easiest short-term solution? Just thinking about it out loud, if you're not going to do what everyone's calling for, and that is splitting up the big two. I mean, yeah, I no, think I that should still work. I what? don't hate it. I just feel like, I don't know, and I maybe it's because I don't, I'm not confident enough yet. I don't think I've watched enough Alex follow, and frankly enough, Nino Niederreiter. He's only been with the team for, for you know, the last few months, and I, I like to have larger samples and that to be like, you know, I feel like I know Cal Connor like the back of my hand, um, and I don't feel that way about either of those players, but right now, I feel like they bring similar things. Um, you know, I, 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 I get sick of the the metaphors or whatever but the meat and potatoes one keeps coming up when talking about these players because they do kind of have that that sort of vibe that they bring to the team um so i don't know if it actually changes a ton uh for that top line do, do you think it does uh, i think nino would uh actually because uh with that line's kind of missing um because we know we know where Kyle Connor's faults are, and we saw his high end skill on, on display with that goal tonight. But I think Nino Niederreiter would bring an element to that line that's missing through transition alongside Mark Shifley. And as far as getting into the zone and creating havoc for those two, uh, and we know that you know he could put the puck in the net himself. I do think he can impact that line. He's probably outside of a Gabe Velarde or Nick Ehlers, probably the third best option for that line. So I, I do think he could actually bring that kind of impact. Interesting. Yeah, I, I definitely would be open to trying it because um, I, I do think that there is kind of a, an added element there that could definitely, like you said, about the about the transition piece, like and especially in a game like tonight against Vegas um, where you're watching it in real time happen you know, to you, um, you see how effective it can be. Uh, so if you can make those tweaks to, to be more effective in that capacity internally, um, you'll probably win a couple more hockey games. I think, what was it, that that first, that William Carlson goal, I think was a perfect, like, textbook example of how, you know, you can effectively turn 
defense into offense um if you manage the passes quickly um and all those kinds of things and and I think like a lot of this you know we're we're Jets fans I'm a Jets fan I I live in a world of me 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 so I I always look at things in the capacity of a Jets fan um but a lot of this came down to I think Vegas being really effective in those areas tonight to kind of expose those Winnipeg Jets weaknesses too so it's it's not um you know, trying to be a Winnipeg Jets hate fest, um, and, and maybe I should give more credit to Vegas with, you know, um, how how I feel like they play their five-on-five five defense pretty pretty high up, uh, so when they poke those pucks out of Nate Schmidt or whoever it is at any given point, then it's that whole, yeah, defense to offense, and then you catch them kind of on, on you know, what's flat-footed, I guess is the term I'm looking for, and they're not set up positionally and all those kinds of things, and that's when you get those, those transition chances that I just feel like the Jets don't effectively capture um, as much the way their current forward lines are set up. Yeah, and they, I think Vegas does deserve a lot of credit. They they seemed, in my opinion, to let that game come to them, and, and they dictated it from there. They didn't like it felt like at times the Jets were trying to force things, and Vegas was just like all over it. They that that D zone, they're just suffocating. They and transition, you know, they're they're a fast team. They made the Jets look really slow. But I got to say, the underlying story today, you got to give an assist to the city of Las Vegas because the Jets were clearly having the Vegas flu tonight. With how, like, the Jets aren't a smart team as far as how they play a game a lot today. But there were so many slow reactions, so many brain farts that you just know that a team that flew out on Wednesday, uh, from Winnipeg, really enjoyed their time in Vegas, and it really showed. I mean, two of the goals came off brutal line changes, oh, and yeah. some of the reads that we were seeing out there, like, they were a second slow all over the ice, and I think it's fairly obvious as to why. I mean, an early season, probably rookie party out of Las Vegas, and 48 hours between games, uh, or I guess 72 hours between games. Yeah, uh, I, 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 I'm sure the boys had a fun time. Let's put it that way. I I can't say I'm as much of a conspiracy theorist as you are, but I will say, um, a month out of we'll returning, hear about this. We'll hear about this in a few months. Don't no, and, but I was gonna <laughs> say, a month out of returning to hockey, Gabe Velarde also happened to go on this trip. Like, come on, who amongst us wouldn't go on a bad knee to party with the boys? I mean, no, you got to get the early season bonding, and it's it's the perfect spot in the schedule for a little team. Uh, out, uh, out of the ring festivities, that's for sure. Yeah, and I think I think it's a full circle moment to kind of how we started the show um, with being like, it's at the end of the day, it was just a frustrating game because there were a lot of things that I, I kind of liked about this this uh, game and how the Jets manage the puck okay at five on five. And as frustrated as I am with how they they shoot, um, you know, there were still some things that I thought they did better than Vegas and all those kinds of things. But it just was an overall like little mistakes that turned into big errors and, and vice versa sort of thing that just kind of took over the game and the result that sort of overshadow, you know, the, the you know, winning the expected goals battle or whatever the common sayings are when it look, when you come to try to understand the whole fabric of the game. So, and, but that's the way that sports work, right? Especially in a game that has as much um, luck and random chance and, and bounces and non-isolated plays um, as hockey does. So, like, say la vie, this is, every hockey game is like this, but this one just seemed a little bit more amplified in that capacity tonight. A hundred percent. It's, uh, 
I, I don't have much to add to that. Uh, what did you think of the, the deep pairing swaps and what we saw? Okay, so you'll have to remind me what um, part of the game that happened in and then what the actual switches were because I'll be honest, I was kind of tuning it out by the end of it. Um, but what were they? <laughs> I think I, I lost Nick on the call here, so I'm just going to quickly jump back. Hold on. I'm going to bring him back into the waiting room because he left the Zoom call. Um, but maybe maybe he just had to leave because he was looking for the G-pairings for me. Um, but <laughs> we'll bring him back in. Oh, there you go. Back. Yeah, sorry about my My screen just shut off out of nowhere. That was weird. All good, all good. So walk me through D-pairings. What time of the game was the switch-ish? Um, and then- I, want, I want to say it was the end of, towards the end of the second, we saw Morrissey Pionk, we saw DeMello Sandberg, and we saw Nate Schmidt and Brendan Dillon down the back half of that game. Yeah, I this this is going to be like a crazy hot take. Um, I A couple of people brought it up in the chat, a couple of people brought it up on Twitter. Um, this, this defense has not been defensing for this whole season. Like, everyone just kind of looks a little bit off their game. Um, so a lot of people are like, all right, when's it happening? Like, when's Declan Chisholm getting his chance in? Um, I wonder if this was their transition period of um, putting Brendan Dillon with who his likely partner would be, in my opinion, if they brought in Declan Chisholm next game. I don't know. That, that's, a, that's an interesting theory, actually. I, I hadn't gone that far along. That's, uh, that makes some sense because there's been some really rough moments for 88. But also, what I what I thought that these changes really highlighted is just how badly this team needs 2D upgrades. Not even just one at this stage. Because Morrissey and Pionk is too chaotic in the D, D zone. A lot of fun for the same reason in the Ozone. Dylan DeMello and Sandberg, I don't love because both guys are guys you'd prefer to be moving the puck to a guy that can skate it out or pass it. Both guys right now are really having trouble with puck movement, so I don't love that idea, even though I think both are quality defenders. And, and yeah, Brendan Dillon and H. Schmidt, I mean... I, I don't have much to say there. So that's an interesting theory. I, I, I'd be down for it at this point. I just yeah. don't think it could get much worse. I, I, I think this team desperately needs Billy Hanela back and a top two or three defenseman add if we want to be serious about fixing what ails this team. Yeah, like, and I think it's tough. And, and you know it's real when I say it. Um, Dylan DeMello is not the 1B defenseman on a Stanley Cup team. Like, he's been a good temporary no. fix for a couple of years, and he's been one of the Winnipeg Jets' best defenders. Like, this is not a Dylan DeBello hate fest whatsoever. But, like, we're starting to see when, you know, we have these forward lines that aren't producing and they aren't playing defense either and all these kinds of things. Like, I just feel like this year in particular, um, and Josh Morrissey's not Josh Norrissey, and, and Brendan Dillon, to me, has looked not as good as he looked last year. Uh, I didn't like Brendan Dillon as much in his first year. I thought last year he was quite excellent, actually. And then this year so far, I've, I've not been a huge fan. So all these little things kind of not working out at the same time. Uh, but mostly in particular, the Josh Morrissey piece, it's not his fault. Um, it's just kind of, I feel like, proving that, that Dylan DeMello is an excellent second or third pairing defenseman. One of my favorite players in the league. I adore him with my whole heart, but he's not like... 
every single night getting that top matchup, those 20 plus minutes, penalty killing, like all those kinds of things. Like it's just, that's not his role. Um, and there's no one though better suited for it on this team right now. So that's how you know that it's a problem that needs to be solved externally. Yeah. They, they, they don't have options. Like, you you got to try something, but you where you end up is just not in a good place. You go from one quality pair that you know it has had some really tough struggles with decision making this year, which we is not something we've always seen from Demello and Morrissey. But by making that switch, there's not really a pairing I trust at any level of the game that much. So I don't know who it's going to be. Maybe it's someone out of Calgary with the way things are going over there, but. That that has to be the biggest priority for this team. It, it has to. I think that's a that's a good uh, segue kind of into how we'll we'll wrap up the show here. We're getting on over the thirty five minute mark, and we're at almost twelve thirty. Uh, I don't know about you, but time flies, man. Work to do tomorrow, <laughs> but it's been a, it's been a fun one, and we'll we'll just do a quick last minute. Uh, call out for some questions in the chat. I have one here that I think is a great kind of add on to, to what you were just talking about. Uh, David is asking um, if we see pressure for bigger, bolder changes to the Jets roster heating up uh, if the team continues to struggle. And I, I don't think like, it's so funny. Like I just, I, I look at the San Jose Sharks and I look at the Ottawa Senators and all these fan bases and I'm like, Oh, Oh honey, you know? And like the Jets have gone, what? Like the last like four or five games, like they've gone pointless in like one or two, like they're not, doing terribly but it's just let's be real it's so much easier to get on here and talk about what the team is doing wrong because those are the conversation pieces <laughs> um but I do think that if this team isn't like if the, their top line isn't you know what I was saying before like if they're not having those pieces that a cup contender needs to have where the top line is being a top line the 1a defenseman is one being a 1a defenseman and those types of things uh i do think there might be some changes that they make but i i'm just not sure because i just don't think it's in the mantra of how the winnipeg jets run operationally to trade a player who's not like either a prospect or expiring to bring in someone better like i don't think they're the type of team that trades neil pionk to get a better defenseman I think they trade for Neil Pionk. Like, that's how they operate. Like, you know, so I'm, I'm just I'm not convinced. Okay. Well, I don't know. What do you think? I, I, I'll go the opposite way. To answer Dave's question, I, I want to go a few different ways here. To answer Dave's question, I do think there's going to be early pressure this year, unlike in years past. And for a few reasons, I think that last year, it was a pretty open secret that Mark Shifley wasn't very happy they didn't make an early trade while the team was hot. Everyone knew they had depth issues. And it just felt like that team needed a boost early on. And by the time we got to the deadline, things got tight. Things were tough. They didn't do it, right? So between that aspect and going through that last year, I think that's going to be in the back of their head. Also with the attendance issues, that's going to be in the back of their head. And the fact that they just locked up both those guys I think you're going to see a shift here. I don't think it'll come up front because I do think the org is fully expecting a guy like Rucker McGrody to impact this year at the end of the year. Maybe Brad Lambert, if he keeps going on this tear. But I do think they're going to get aggressive on the D side of things. I think some of the rumors we heard this summer, especially the one I was shouting from the rooftops for, was trading 18 overall and Nate Schmidt into Travis Sanheim. Uh, that was that was something that was pretty public. So I think there, I think we will see a shift in that regard where 
everyone knows what their problem is. Clearly, they do. And now that I, I wonder if Connor Hellbuck and Mark Shifley, if they signed in June, if the Sandheim thing would have happened. Whereas they weren't signed, it was a lot to ask to get move a first, even though you're getting a long term player. I do think you'll see the Jets get aggressive early. It's just going to depend on other teams falling out of it, like a Calgary deciding, you know what, we'll shop our defensemen, which would be a t- great team to buy from. Because right now on the market, there's only really bad contracts up front kind of floating around. But I do think once a team like Calgary pulls the trigger, I think you'll see the Jets get aggressive. We saw them trade for Dylan DeMello, I want to say, in like January when they got him. It might have been early February, but it was well out from the draft or trade deadline, if I'm not mistaken. And I do think you'll see that team get aggressive this year. Interesting. I feel like I think there's just good... too much at stake. This is a good episode, I feel like, to like bookmark and put in your back pocket because we're kind of coming in with the random hot takes that I feel like, I don't know, if some of these sort of transpire into anything could be really interesting. I think uh, you and Bro- uh, Brody have just been on the same wavelength in the chat this whole time. Uh, Brody's kind of in the same in the same boat. He said talks about Hannafin, you know, interested in Anderson, if they'd be willing to move him, you know, Calgary, because I feel like oh, Calgary's yeah. going to sell the, like everyone and their dog uh, at some point because it's just vibes are terrible and they're not going anywhere. So I- I'd be interested to see... Um, if some unconventional names in the market show up, I'm I'm still convinced that the Winnipeg Jets will be more likely to move like a player who's like on an expiring deal or whatever, as opposed to one of their current guys. Cause I feel like they just, it doesn't make sense. It's almost like an eye for an eye for them to do Pionk for Sandheim or something like that. Um, uh, no, I'm going to go the opposite way again. I'm going to, okay. this is a good chat. Keep going. Keep so, you going. Know, but I, like I, I agree with you, and that's what I would want to. I just feel like it's the kind of thing, and how maybe I, I'm doubling back here because I I was so convinced in training camp. I was like, they will never scratch a six million dollar player for Billy Hanola. There is a zero percent chance this organization would ever do that. Um, but there were talks about it, and it was it was like kind of, you know, it, it was almost imminent until that happened and everything. Um, so maybe I'm wrong. I just don't think that this team will make a trade that moves someone like. Pionk Schmidt maybe but Pionk or or Dylan or DeMello or something like that to bring in another defenseman who's just a little bit better because I just don't think they're going to think it's worth it enough okay so I'm going to go the opposite route here and this is something we kind of started seeing last year because of the cap and it's going up next year but some of these trades we're going to have to look at as the roster piece just being salary filler and to kind of look at that would be like looking at the NBA and how NBA trades work because salary matches almost are inevitable in every NBA trade. And with, I want to say it's like 18 teams might even be higher capped out for teams to create movement. They're going to have to move money off their books. And also I do think if there's an opportunity in season for a Nate Schmidt or Neil Pionk to be included in a trade for a D-man, likely they'd want it with term. I would assume but it would also be the Jets accomplishing what's inevitable next summer early by including them. Like the Jets will not go into next year with Nate Schmidt and Neil Pionk both on the roster. Remember this book market? I just can't see it. So including one of them would just be part of doing business. There will likely be an extra cost if it's Nate Schmidt. But I do see that actually being a realistic option. On, on the names we kind of, kind of heard Brody mention, I think Hannafin is someone this org would push hard for because 
one of the things you see in hockey is GMs have those favorites from time and time ago. And there was a lot of rumblings during the Hannafin draft year that the Winnipeg Jets were trying to get up into the top six, seven, eight picks to try and get Noah Hannafin. So I would put that in the back of my head and think about it. Though, though I'll say this, and this is where it gets a little scary for me, is the projected contract is more than what Devin Tate's got, and that's not a player I'd want to commit that kind of money to. Um, I think you're running into some long-term issues there, but that is a guy I do think there will be something there. Uh, Rasmus Anderson would be the dream. I just don't see Calgary moving him. Um, yeah. Nikita Zadarov might be the play there. Yeah, I've heard that one kind of swirling around a little bit too. I think it's the kind of thing where it's like, People just think it's like open season on on the Calgary Flames, so so people are chatting about it a little bit. But I, I like it; like it's it's fun um, to to hear about, especially the Noah Hannafin one. I I, I don't know. And the, the dream one, but his no trade kicked in this summer would be Mackenzie Weger. It's oh a big God. long term contract, oh but uh, I don't I don't know if we should get excited about that one. I would plan the parade at True North Square. If we got Plus, I think Calgary's going to try and retool. I don't think they're blowing it up completely, so they're going to keep some guys. Yeah, Jonathan Huberto, anyone? Jonathan Huberto? Um, okay, <laughs> I think that kind of wraps up um, the general gist of our show tonight. It's getting late. There are a couple people live in the chat. It's nice to see all you guys here. Make sure you uh, hit a like on the street before you head out. Thanks for staying up with us. It's always a good time. Um, and if you're listening back tomorrow on you know Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your shows, or even here on YouTube. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, we appreciate the listens. Uh, if you you know don't get the chance to watch the shows live and interact with us in the chat, make sure you're interacting with us uh, over on Twitter. That's kind of where uh, both Nick and I, um, as well as my co-host Brady, are the most active when it comes to Jet stuff. So you can follow me at Liss Hood, L-Y-S-S-H-O-U-D-E. And you can follow Nick at Nick Lynam, which is N-I-K, no C in that one, uh, L-Y-N-A-M. So uh, make sure you check us out on there. Check out SDPN Sports on Twitter, on Discord, on TikTok, on everywhere that they are uh because we love to connect with everybody um talk jets talk hockey talk everything thank you so much everyone uh for being here tonight that's kind of it for us i will see you tomorrow (laughs) in two days it's not tomorrow theoretically because we're past midnight now I'll, i'll be here on saturday with my good friend Connor from Top, uh, no, not Top Line. That's who I have today uh, from Level Fly <laughs> Podcast. Um, Connor's a good buddy, and he's done some amazing work um, and he's done all kinds of crazy things this offseason, the last couple seasons, uh, getting more involved in the hockey world. So uh, he's going to be a great ad to have on Saturday. So we'll be doing the Yotes game together uh, right here, same place. Uh, I would say same time, but thank God it's not the same time. Uh, so uh, I will see everybody on Saturday. Thanks again for joining us. Thanks again for tuning in to Game Over Winnipeg. We'll see you soon. Yeah!